All right, welcome back, everyone, to the One Percent in Health. This is the fourth episode. We spent uh, three episodes on Nash's story. Uh, purpose of this podcast is to highlight high performers, the one percent that have health conditions, um, their successes, their triumphs, their traumas, their uh, the things that they've overcome. Um, so we're excited to uh, talk about Clarissa today, our one of our hosts. And her story and her background. Before we get started, just a reminder, we are not professionals, we are not doctors. There are trigger triggers and conversations that we discuss and trauma and tragedy and conditions and, and all sorts of things like that. So uh, once again, we are not professionals. Seek professional help. There's a disclaimer in the beginning of the podcast. All right. So um, about two months ago, I was talking to Elizabeth, who is Clarissa's sister-in-law, she edited my book. She spent two years with me cleaning up the book and making it wonderful. And when it was done, um, she suggested that I talk to Clarissa because I, I uh, talked about doing a podcast. She's like, well, you need to uh, talk to Clarissa. So Clarissa and I got in touch. Clarissa told me her story. It was fascinating. It was so fascinating. I thought, well, Maybe I should invite her to be a co-host of this podcast. So we had her family over to our house. Uh, we felt it was a good fit. Um, I, uh, we have some commonality in some of the story, and we'll talk about that later on. That made me super interested in, uh, in, in your health condition. And, uh, and then uh, we, introduced, we got introduced to Nash uh, as far as the podcast, and all three of us decided to come together. So once again, this podcast is to introduce Clarissa, what she's doing in life, what, where she, her upbringing, her uh, triumphs in life. We'll talk about her businesses and what she's doing this year. She's got a lot of goals and doing a lot of stuff, so I'm excited to dig in. What am I missing, Nash? Nothing. She's amazing. It's going to be great. <laughs> I'm so excited for this. I truly am. I'm, we'll I'm see ready. if you think that when we're done. Oh, It'll absolutely. Let's, yeah. go. Let's so go. So it, it's nighttime. We're here and uh, just... 20, 20 miles south of Salt Lake City. It's nighttime. We're all busy professionals. We've got families at home. There's weather conditions. We've, we've uh, overcome those. We're here. It's not easy to come and talk about yourself. Um, yeah. We want to get through all these introductions so the listeners can get to know each of us. So thanks again for doing this, Clarissa. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Where should we begin? <laughs> where were you? Uh, where, where'd you where were you born? <laughs> You're here in Utah now, but let's start there. Yeah. So interestingly enough, I was just born 30 minutes south of here in the little Provo hospital. Um, it was the week of finals and my dad had finished his last final or he was going in for it. And he asked my mom what she wanted when they were done with finals. And she just said, I want to have this baby. And sure enough, <laughs> same day. Wow. So I'm a finals baby. So whenever there's finals at BYU, you know, it's my birthday. Wow. it's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Um, after that, we lived kind of all over um, the country for my dad's job and then ended up in Utah for most of my growing up, different cities in Utah for most of my growing up. And then when I was in high school, my family moved to Colorado. And that is what I claim is home. How many brothers and sisters? I have two brothers. So I have a brother who's three years older than me. And, um, then I have a younger brother who is eight years younger than me. And he, um, is just the, he's the light of our family's life. Like he was a miracle for us, you know, eight year span. I was eight years old. So that's pretty crazy. My baby yeah. is eight years old right now. And I just can't imagine bringing another baby into yeah. my family. That's great. And, uh, what did your, your parents do as a profession? So my, around? yeah. So, um, at the beginning, my dad was in tech. He did like it stuff. He, um, worked for Novell and new skin and, um, so, I can't, man, I can't remember some of the other companies we lived like in Texas and St. Louis. And so those were some of the first tech companies coming out of Utah yeah, Novell yeah. with Ashton and yep. we're, perf we're perfect. And one yep. of the first places I worked was in Thanksgiving point in, uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah. So that's great heritage for tech, tech, <laughs> tech in Utah. Yeah. Um, and then in 2002, um, 
he was laid off with all of the big, the very first like big novel layoffs. And instead of 2002, you said, yeah, yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah. I was in high school Mm -hmm. and uh, he decided that he was going to go back to entrepreneurship. He grew up uh, up in Wyoming actually. And his dad owned hardware stores and he left his dad's hardware stores to be able to go do, you know, his career. And then mm-hmm. when he was laid off, he decided that he wanted to open his own store again. So he actually opened Papa Murphy's in Colorado. Wow. So we did pizza for 10 years. Wow. And then now he, um, they sold that. And now he actually is, um, uh, the owner of a franchise twisted sugar, which is a cookie and soda store in Colorado. Awesome. So do you think that's, that's cool. where you get some of your entrepreneurship? Absolutely. Absolutely. My yeah. dad and I think a lot alike. <laughs> cool. Awesome. All right. So one of the things we're going to get into is uh, um, some of the, uh, the health condition that you found out. Uh, well, you started having at an early age. Yeah. Um, you want to describe some of that in the beginnings of, of what yeah. would come to Oh, here we purpose? go. little did I know it would come to be my purpose. Um, around age 10, I've always been kind of like highly sensitive. I, my parents thought it was just because I was a girl, right? Because I only had brothers, those kinds of things, but I was always fairly highly sensitive. Um, around age 10, I started noticing that like, I would be upset when it was time for me to go home from school when like routines would change. And, um, started having like aggression issues. Um, we would call it controlling your temper in my house, right? Mm-hmm. Like throwing fits, uh, slamming doors, those kinds of things. And what age uh, was this again? You said 10? 10. Yeah. yeah. So I was about 10. Um, and, uh, as, as time went on, things got progressively worse And my parents, you know, thought that it was just my body maturing, which in a way it was because Mm -hmm. the, as my body started growing to change from a child to a young adult or a teen, like those hormones that go through your body kind of wreak havoc on any teen, they wreak havoc, Mm -hmm. but mine was just more severe. Hmm. Um, And so, and and was there any... Did you go to a doctor right away or anything? Was this, you were just dealing with this no, with your parents? And- just dealt with it with my parents. Interestingly enough, um, the, the bishop in my ward, which is part of my church, um, he was actually a psychologist. And so instead of seeking medical help, like we were able to use him as a resource. And mm-hmm. um, eventually I went to him as a patient. Um, that's when I was like 13-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, things got really severe when I was about 12. I, um, I couldn't, this sounds so ridiculous, but I couldn't get my hair right. And I was so upset that I just punched the mirror that was in my bedroom and it sliced my wrist and luckily mm-hmm. it missed my artery. And, mm-hmm. um, I think at that point my parents realized like there was, there was something bigger going on. So we what, started getting what? some. That was there. an event. What 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 did what was what was it like? What were you feeling? Was it were you triggered into um, rages? Were you feeling emotionally sick? Were you um, yelling? What, what what were some of the things you were experiencing? Well, that kind of that kind of brings up something a little complicated there because what I was feeling and what I could express were two different things. Okay. Um, let alone because this was all new to me what did mm-hmm. I know? Right. Mm-hmm. Very young, very immature in my brain development. Anyway, I, I was just expressing my emotions. Um, my parents didn't handle things very well. I know that they, I have to give a caveat cause I love my parents so much. Mm-hmm. And, um, I know that when they listen to this, it might bring up some, some mm-hmm. hard things for them, but I know that they were just trying to do their best. In fact, my dad, um, specifically he's like a completely different person than he was back then. So I have like a testimony that people can change. Like I know that that, that can, you know, people can do better 
And I'm grateful mm -hmm. that my parents have been that way, but my parents didn't handle it very well. Like if I, mm -hmm. you know, slammed a door or yelled or screamed or broke into, you know, my parents used to call it the fire truck fit. Like I'd get, I get spanked and thrown in my room and left in my room until I was under control and left to manage it. that myself. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So there was the difference between what I could give and have it be accepted to express and to diffuse those emotions versus what I was feeling inside. So I've kept, I've learned how to keep a lot inside and mm -hmm. uh, have a, a very good front stage and backstage. Now that doesn't always happen when you're, you know, with your parents all the time. Um, mm -hmm. My parents were very helicopter parents. They controlled a lot of everything I did, who I spoke to, um, what kind of friends I had, where I went, um, what I was involved in. They were doing their best to protect me from mm -hmm. worldly influences, but it it mm -hmm. really affected my ability to um, diffuse emotion and handle it responsibly. I don't think that they're the cause of what I what I have. I, mm -hmm. But I do, do you, think that I just didn't get coping techniques as a child. Did you feel um, <laughs> like what you said, you kind of learned how to put on a show, right? And you had to hide how you're feeling. Did you feel different than your peers, your, your classmates? Did you ever oh, feel absolutely. like, absolutely. Yeah. Describe that. Absolutely. Um, even when I was four and five, I always knew that I was different. Um, I would, I would, I would lie to impress my friends to be able to gain friendship or gain approval. Um, again, I think that had a little bit to do with my nature and a little bit to do with how I was raised. Um, mm -hmm. Just because I was, I was spanked all the time. I was, I was get, I was in trouble a lot. Um, you know, helicopter parents like they wanted to control that. And so um, I think that I, I just needed love and I needed acceptance for who I was. And I was just never taught to do that myself. Um, in fact, that really hasn't happened until I've been in my 30s, <laughs> to be honest. Were you, were you super hard on yourself as well? Always. I still am. I still am yeah. really hard on myself. I, I claim I'm a recovering perfectionist, but I, I mm -hmm. truly am. Like I, I have a drive for excellence. I think that has a lot to do with, again, like how I was parented, I was raised to, um, I'm driven anyway, but mm -hmm. like I was paid, I was paid for my grades. If I got good grades, I got good pay. If I got anything less than an A, I did not get paid. Um, you know, I, it was to produce and mm -hmm. in all honesty, I, what, how I see it is that I was to help my parents reputation. Did you? Like I, I was the result of who my parents were. I was a direct reflection of that. Mm. So I had to behave in order to make sure that they were considered okay in society. Did school come easy to you? Very easy. Okay. So in fact, you, I love school. Yeah. It, well, and it's not that I'm book smart. It's that I knew how to, I knew how to do what was right to impress and get, get good grades so I wouldn't get in trouble. Mm -hmm. Perfectionist, fact, hard was, on yourself. Yeah, Sounds I was bullied a lot. Um, Let's talk about that. <laughs> well, number one, I'm I, I strive to for perfection, and so I was I was bullied a lot for being perfect or the teacher's pet. Um, I have been very tall, so I'm five ten right now. Mm -hmm. I've been five ten since I was twelve years old. Mm. So I, wow. I was really tall, like in fourth grade, I was already five feet mm. and just towered above the kids. And so I was made fun of a lot for, um, for being tall. People are going to find that hard to believe. Uh, Mrs. Utah <laughs> County, um, pretty, right. Put together. <laughs> and what do you mean? She was bullied. Didn't she, all the guys like her and oh man, and in fourth grade, I sat between two boys in fourth grade and in fourth grade, the first week of school, I bo broke both of my arms jumping off mm. a trampoline 
And so <laughs> I had both of my arms in casts the first two weeks. I should have brought some pictures. That'd be great. Um, and they were so mean to me. They poured glue in my hair. They would push, mm. they would push my chair out from under me. Um, did, it was did you so intimidate bad. them because you were as, you were as tall as the boys and you were athletic and did you intimidate them? Maybe they were. I, I, I have no idea. And you know, I wasn't very athletic. <laughs> no, I did not do a lot of sports because I wasn't. Now. I wasn't really allowed to. You should have whooped the crap out of those boys. What you should have done those casts <laughs> oh. and hit them. That's what I would have done. Yeah. Nash, Nash, you'll like this story. So my dad put me in hunter safety when I was twelve years old. Right on. And it was me and about twenty other boys, mm -hmm. and I shot straight bullseye in my test like you could not see anything but the hole in the middle and i whooped their trash so my dad always likes to tell that story <laughs> good for you good on. So so in a way i get back right yep you intimidate him a little bit you kept I, you know i must have i have no idea i have no idea what caused it it was but it was really painful and because of that i think that i think that maybe have stemmed my you know uh negative self-talk that probably stemmed my wanting to be uh, included and loved and appreciated. So I'll, I would do whatever to have a good friend. Like I always wanted to be, you know, popular and those kinds of things that I think normal kids want, but I took mine to an extra extreme uh, probably mm -hmm. because of, because of my genetic what makeup. Was going on? And did you feel, um, did you like being tall? Was it an insecurity? How did, what was that like? I probably grew up in the shortest town in Utah, like where everybody is number one related, but number two, super short. Like I was taller than my second grade teacher when I was in second grade. Um, I back then, which really wasn't back then too much. At least I don't think so yet. I still don't feel so old, but t being tall wasn't, wasn't really like a normal thing. Like you see it a lot mm -hmm. more now than you mm -hmm. saw it, you know, 25 mm -hmm. years ago, 30 years ago. So we, you had some, some, something going on, right. That was causing, um, anger issues and, and behavioral health, <laughs> sounds yeah. behavioral, behavioral, you know, shifts and moods. So and when I was about 13, my parents finally took me into my psychologist, my new psychologist, my, who was my bishop, and he did some tests on me. And he put the little heart rate monitor on my finger, you know? Mm. And he asked me questions to see to see what my heart would do and, and what my mm. stress levels would do. Um, and I remember it was like this really dark, dingy office building. Like it was like downstairs, there weren't windows. Like, and I remember thinking how scary it was um, to go. So your heart was already and elevated. <laughs> yeah. Surprisingly enough, when he asked me questions, I was able to control my heart rate, even though I was really upset at the questions he you was asking. You outsmarted the, you outsmarted it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And when he went back to my knew, mom, he, how said, to play that game. he said, this is one smart cookie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but that didn't stop, that didn't stop the issues at home. Um, yeah. I think the more, the more I experienced symptoms, the more my parents tried to tighten up. And that caused a lot of rebellion. Um, that caused mm -hmm. a lot of me breaking rules. Um, it caused me to look outside of my home for validation, which meant I, I went through boyfriend after boyfriend after boyfriend um, until my parents found out. And then I'd have to break up with them. And then I'd find the next one. And then my parents would find out, you know, I'd try and hide it from them because it, it was something I knew I wasn't supposed to do. But I was craving just being loved. Can I ask we you a question? Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you feel like you were just like in survival mode? <laughs> Nash, that's funny you asked that because on the way here, I was listening to a podcast about uh, trauma. Mm -hmm. And the difference between stress and trauma is that stress leaves when the event is over. But mm -hmm. trauma is like a continuous state. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking to myself, I've been in survival mode my whole life. Yep. Um, between like 
when I would throw a fit, if I didn't get, practice the piano right, like if I didn't get my song right and I'd throw a fit and just slam my hand on the piano keys, you know, and then my mom would just stomp down the hallway and just grab me and just spank the living heck out of me. Or if I was just crying because I was so sad and then, mm-hmm. you know, or if I, um, on top of that, my relationship with my older brother was not, was not good. And we fought all the time and he despised me and I feared him. He was not, I mean, he was not emotionally or physically kind most of the time, like 95% mm-hmm. of the time. And so I, I just, I just wanted love and I was in survival mode. If I did not get A's, if I did not do everything perfect for everybody else, um, it was, you know, it would cause a lot of havoc. Mm-hmm. Good question. I have a question too. We um, grew up LDS, right? Yeah. You and I, and uh, we were taught not to date till we were 16. And you mm-hmm. said you went back, you went from boyfriend to boyfriend. I kind of did the same thing in my behavioral issues. Um, always codependent, always relying on, um, I was a people pleaser. Sounds like you were somewhat of that too. Do you have, were you dating before 16? This is a this is an LDS question. Were you, <laughs> you rebelling with boys before you were? I mean, did, were your parents trying to have you not date before sixteen? You were. You oh felt- yeah, oh yeah. My parents like kept kept the rules. My parents are rule keepers. Mm-hmm. They still are. I think they have softened up as the as life has changed a lot. But um, I tried so hard not to, but my chemistry and my desires to be loved were so strong that I always found myself like wrapped up in that drama Mm -hmm. of who likes who. And, you know, I I didn't have my first kiss until I was 16, but before that, Mm -hmm. I mean, there were, you'd stick notes in people's lockers. That's like our old school texting, you know, like Mm -hmm. at school it was, Oh, he thinks you're cute. And I'd hang out with them and eat lunch with them and play basketball with them. And, you know, flag football because it was just, you know, and then we'd call each other on the phone and talk a lot. It was never like really official, but once I turned like 16, things, things then became official after that. It was the same thing. It was just a different label, right? Yeah. I I ask because a lot of people that will listen to this will think that's a strange thing, but it's part of our (laughs) culture. It's part of our culture. And it's like, once we're 16, we're like, okay, game on, we're dating, we're dating. And I always felt guilty for dating before 16. And Anyways, it, it causes to the perfection syndrome. It causes to the hypersensitive, you know, the people pleasing and us trying to please our parents and trying to please our religious leaders. And, and, and when we have issues and behavioral health issues um, and we do seek validation from our friends and our boyfriends and our girlfriends and stuff like that, it, it's, it's it, a lot of stuff goes on in these formative years, right? So it's a lot to go through and you're, you're suffering from, you know, you didn't know what you were suffering from. You're trying to figure it out. You're, yeah. You're... Um, do, you, do you want me to keep going? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, like, when I was like 14, um, I didn't know this until a lot, a lot of years later, because like, my, you know, again, my parents were helicopter, also tried to hide everything. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't have any discussions in front of us. Um, I found out years later, probably probably in the past seven years that the doctor said, well, I think she has bipolar Hmm. and um, my psychologist and my parents were like, okay, what is that? You know, like that was kind of, I mean, that was in the the nineties. So just not a lot of technology to to spread. Yeah. He did call it bipolar. Hmm. Um, And he is, he's, he's retired now, but he's like the best psychologist in Utah. Awesome. Um, in fact, my psychologist now was his understudy mm. and, uh, has taken over since, but, um, and this, and this is why I got interested in your story because I'm bipolar and <laughs> yeah. I heard that you were going through this and you thought you were bipolar as a teen fascinated me and, and we'll keep going. So, yeah. So my parents thing. treated it that way, but no medication. Um, they thought that there were other things that they could do instead, uh, we, which we were just discussing before the podcast. Mm-hmm. My parents put me on Accutane. I had terrible acne. It was so bad. And my parents put it on Accutane, um, kind of a side note to show kind of what my parents were like was 
the absolutely no to birth control. You have to take Accu you, women have to take birth control when they take Accutane mm -hmm. because Accutane will create malformities if anybody gets pregnant on Accutane. It, you know, it's been proven it's a derivative of vitamin A. Yeah. And um, so they were like, absolutely no birth control because then she's going to go mess around, which was not in my wheelhouse. Like, that's not what mm -hmm. I was doing. I just wanted just a boyfriend to have somebody mm -hmm. appreciate me, not necessarily for that whole other aspect, mm -hmm. which to be honest with you, I didn't even know how mm -hmm. things worked because right. <laughs> it was kept right. from me. Um, yeah. But my parents signed, had assigned two legal forms saying that they would take responsibility if I got pregnant. Um, so that they didn't have to put me on Accu didn't have to put me on birth control. Wow. When I went on Accutane, um, even though there's no proof of it, it made me completely suicidal. Like it just pushed me mm. way off the edge. So that was when I was a sophomore in high school. And um, every night in my journal, I would write my plans of how I was going to mm. die. Wow. Um, so you were putting pen to paper with ideas and like planning it yeah. out. Like yeah. How you're going to do it and how when. I would have preferred it that day or what I was thinking of. <sighs> mm -hmm. and, and, um, and, and then you were also getting labeled with bipolar, which. Well, know, my parents has... didn't tell me. Oh, okay. So they didn't, you know, they were like, we're just going to keep you going to the psychologist. And mm. the other people told them like, well, she'll grow out of it. Cause she, you know, she has just hormone sensitivity. She'll, she's just maturing. She'll grow out of it when she's 16 or 17. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, 15 rolls around and I'm still just going as strong as ever at that point. Like I had broken multiple closet doors and I had kicked in a door and I had broken, I had shattered my window, um, in my bedroom, you know, just like slamming my hands into it. Um, probably about that age was the age that I started fearing my parents' reaction to breaking things in quote unquote their house. And, um, so I started self-harming. I was going to um, ask that. Yeah. To, to cope, to allow myself to feel something different than the torture that was going on in my brain. Yeah. So basically, Let's see, hang on. You were. You froze. I, I'm going to throw this out there. Her oh. camera froze, and it froze on a very interesting facial. Uh, <laughs> hang on, just a sec. That must be our cue yeah. to take a take a break. Hang <laughs> on. Sorry, listeners. Um, as soon as we get into really touchy subjects and get into that I'm moment, we have a we have we have technical difficulty. I apologize for not having a better environment. Um, we're doing our best. I pay a lot of money. This, this is how real it is. It's real. Yeah. All right. We're back. Sorry for the technical difficulty. Every time we get into a touchy subject, uh, technology wants to destroy the moment, make a start over. And uh, anyways, let's get back it was to good. the podcast. It was good to take a breather. Yeah. Um, heavy stuff. So we were talking about yeah. the journal journaling. and So I became afraid of what my parents would do if I broke something physical, like broke a closet drawer, broke my door, you know, a mirror, whatever. And so instead I started self-harming. Um, I don't know how much detail to go into that, but. Um, so basically this is, I'm going to throw this out there. Yeah. So every day you were in living hell, weren't you? I don't know. There were still, there were still beautiful moments, you know, like That's I good. said, like That's when my good. brother, when my brother came into the picture, my, you know, my younger brother and, you know, at this point he was six. Okay. Um, I just know, think about, he, when he was tell, my best friend. He was, yeah. he was my best friend. When you talk about committing suicide every day and you're writing it down, that just, that's huge. I mean, and everything you've gone through up to this point, I'm yeah, you know, and at this time, I'm like, aching I look, for you. I'm just uh, like, how did you make it? You know? Yeah, I mean, we were, I was in the principal's office because I had problems with girls in school because we were causing drama, and I'm sure some of that, like, I'm sure I put effort into some of that where, like, I didn't realize that I was probably causing part of the drama, but I honestly was like, why is life just not working out for me? <laughs> like, that is how I felt. Right. Um. So I would self-harm to, you know, and then hide it. Like it wasn't like 
forearms. It was like my thighs, my stomach. Um, so what that did, I what did it, it do for you? There's a lot of people that, uh, um, empathize, empathize. Yeah. Empathize or maybe have a child who, you know, mm -hmm. who does it. Um, some things that I have looked at in my, you know, just in hindsight, I think it was a way for me to feel a pain that was not the torture I was going through that I couldn't mm. fix. Like it was easier to give me uh, a purposeful pain than it was to have this unknown pain that I didn't know. Mm. You know, I thought I was broken, so I might as well be broken. So sabotage myself in order to be able to um, get rid of the, you know, add meaning to what I was going through. I had a um, friend of mine and he was, uh, I dearly love him to this day. And he did the same thing. He was a cutter, you know? Yeah. And it's just, um, once he told me, it was like, it, it's hard for people that don't get it or don't understand it. But when he was telling me about it and I'm like, oh, okay. I, I, I get where you're coming from, you know? Yeah. And it's just, it's to a feel anything thing. besides the torture that you're feeling. Yeah. How long yeah. did that go for? Um, I still deal with that problem today, actually, oh, the, 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 the if impulse. I'm honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a coping technique. Um, it's something that I've used since I was a teenager. It doesn't break or destroy anything, <laughs> but yeah. usually at that point when I, when I am at that point, I know, um, now I know what it is. And I have some tools to hopefully stop it and add some distance between mm -hmm. that reaction and that tech coping technique. Um, I have an amazing husband now. I don't think he knows very much about that. So I wonder what he's going to mm -hmm. say about that. Um, you know, I even hide it from him because mm -hmm. I don't want to hurt anybody else. Mm -hmm. um, so that started happening. My parents took me off Accutane. Um, before I was finished with all the dosing. And I, that was really hard because I so wanted, I so wanted the acne gone from my face. I was, you know, I was bullied so much. And did you take about, Accutane? Did you take Accutane and then the cutting started? The self-harm starting started? Was it the same time or was it before? I, you know, honestly, Accutane? I don't rem I don't remember. I don't think it was mm, because of Accutane. Okay. I really don't think it was because of Accutane. I think that it was coping from what I was dealing with in my home. Okay. I just wanted to ask. I was curious. You know, and and you guys have to understand too, which I think you will. I mean, spanking was a parenting discipline technique mm -hmm. that was used for many, many years. And even though that was used in my home, it probably caused me a lot of small T traumas that were built up. And so what did I think of to do to be able to control my emotions or get them under wraps? It was to harm myself because that's mm -hmm. what was being done disciplined to me, right? Um, let's see. So, man, I don't know when I went, when I went off to college, it was like the best thing that had ever happened to me Freedom. Um, to get out of my, my parents' house. And, um, when I, when I was a senior in high school, I was, um, getting into another relationship and I was out sitting on the front porch with this, with this, um, teenage boy. And, you know, we were, I was a teenager too, you know, obviously. So, you know, we were sitting close and talking about our future and what that would look like. And for me, it was kind of a, a release to get away from the now, like to envision, you know, a happier future with somebody who loved me. Like that was just, mm -hmm. that was just what I wanted. I dreamt of that. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And my mom came out on the porch and she said, she apparently had been over listening through, mm. you know, the bathroom window. And she said, don't you know what this is doing to your dad and I's reputation? Mm. And, uh, it, that was a realization for me that everything that they had done for me was for them and their, how they were viewed in, you know, our community and our city and at work and, um, you know, there were some other stories that happened when I was a teenager. My dad probably reached out to a friend in confidence to ask him some, you know, counsel. What should I do with Clarissa? This is really hard for us. Um, my dad's friend had an older daughter. And uh, what happened was, is his son came home from his mission and ended up being my Sunday school teacher. 
and we talked about missions a little bit in Nash's mm-hmm. episode. Um, but so he was about 21 and I was probably 14, 15 years old. And in my Sunday school class, he brought up a broken window and my wrist and me being angry and aggressive. So I know that my dad had told somebody who had then told his son who had then brought it up in front of all my peers in class. Wow. Um, that really has stuck with me for a long time. Um, that, that made me not trust my parents a lot, which then caused more lying and deceit. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm very apologetic for it now, but it truly was coping. It truly was Mm -hmm. me just trying to find who I was, um, and not having, you know, like I was, I couldn't even wear like a two piece swimsuit. Like my swimsuit had to be one piece. All my clothes had to be down to my knees, covered my shoulders, just very modest, very, very strict in keeping with gospel standards that were the cultural norm back in the eighties and nineties. Um, when I graduated though, when I went off to college, uh, surprisingly enough, I chose to go to BYU. Uh, I had actually applied for a school in California without telling my parents the fashion Institute of design and merchandise fit them. And uh, I had been accepted and I was ready to go. And, um, my parents were like, you need to just apply to BYU. And of course, trying to please them, I applied to BYU. It was in a, about September. And I got my acceptance letter a week later. Now, this was way before email. This was send it in physically. And I got an acceptance letter a week later. Was it, were I you, was, live, you were living in Utah at the time? Yeah. So my parents just, just were in know. transition to Colorado. Okay. Just to time. know, so, getting, in, getting into BYU and living in, in Utah is very difficult. So mm-hmm. congratulations on, on <laughs> the pain that you had to do to get the A's to get into BYU. That was a great accomplishment. It's very hard. Some, some people Thank can't you. get into uh, Stanford. Thank right? you. And they, yeah. So, you know, well, and BYU is a private Ivy League school. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. What was your ACT score? I think it was a t- 27. No, it was nice. more than that. I was, Cause we don't take SATs here. We no, take, ACTs. take ACTs. I think the first time I got a 25, the second time I got a 27. And then I think I got a 29. I wanted to point that out because that's awesome. To get into I, BYU, you have to be in up in those higher twenties. And here you are suffering from behavioral health issues. You're, <laughs> you're going through hurting yourself and you're getting into BYU with a 29 ACT score. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> and straight A's. Yep. Yeah. I, you, you I didn't yourself. have anything less than an A ever. Wow. Um, but but school, that discipline was my outlet because it was something safe for me. I knew what to expect mm-hmm. at school. I wasn't touched or harmed or disciplined at school. I could, you know, be make my own choices for who I was. Like I, I was really, I really love school. I still love education to this day. You know, like I'm saying, like my my mm-hmm. My tagline in my house is, so I was listening to a podcast today. Like that's just, you know, who mm-hmm. I am. Um, went to school, had no issues whatsoever with behavioral health, with, with anything like that. And um, you never got diagnosed with anything. You, you at got this to point, I was not diagnosed. diagnosed. Yeah. Wow. At this point, you know, my parents are like, sweet, you know, she's doing great. Um, when I left the house my conversion, my love for my savior actually grew exponentially. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to make those choices on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you know, let me share a story about my Please. relationship with God. Yep. When I was, how old was I? I, I had to be a senior um, in high school. I was going through, I was going through, you know, my behavioral health and my, my suicidal ideation again. And, um, it wasn't always the case. Like I would go through kind of spurts where life sucked and then life was good. And then life sucked and life's good. Like never, never correlated that with anything. It just seems more sporadic. Um, now I know differently and I'll share with that, share you with, share that with you in a little bit. There we go. But, um, when I was going through this low time, I was in my bedroom I was underneath my desk and I was slamming my head on my desk to just try and get my brain to just change. I want to change so bad and was sobbing and crying and praying to God, please just, this was not the first time praying, please just take me away. 
please just mm-hmm. take this away. If you're not going to take this away, take me away. How do I, how do I kill myself and make it not a bloody mess and make it where it's successful? Cause I was, I was worried that mm-hmm. if I tried, I wouldn't be successful and then I'd have to deal with my parents um, and their discipline. Like I was worried I was going to get in trouble for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up moving out from under my desk cause that just wasn't good enough. I, I was in a basement bedroom. So it was just the concrete slab and the carpet pad and the carpet, you know, just super thin. Mm. And I was slamming mm. my head into the floor as hard as I possibly could. And just begging God to take me. Because I just didn't want to live with that anymore. I'm sure I probably live with with the the torture. Um, Well, we can go into that too. So when when I have a PMDD episode, I feel like there is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in my head. There's literally like two people fighting in my head. Um, you know, do this. Oh no, I can't do that. Do this. Oh no, that's not possible. Well, maybe I'll go do this. Oh, but if you do that, so-and-so will see, or, you know, like just, just the two shoulder angels essentially, but they're very loud. And on top of that, I become very sensitive to the energies around me. I remember as a teenager being like, I can hear the electricity going through my alarm clock plug up the, up Mm -hmm. the wires into the, so I'd have to unplug my alarm clock because I could hear the electricity. Um, you know, things sensitive like that, like my clothes wouldn't fit right. And I would just get so angry that my body wasn't fitting into my clothes, which now I know it was the sensitivity to, mm-hmm. you know, extra seam line or extra hem or, you know, the seam line just fitting funky on my shoulder that day. And because the extra sensitivity, it just was you know, an explosion. Um, was, was there one sense over another? Was it, was it smell? Was it here? Was it, or hearing? Was it touch? Was it, oh, was that's it all? It. Was it everything? It, it, it usually is everything. Um, mm-hmm. my husband and I just a couple weeks ago went to a concert and it was right in the peak of my PMDD and I literally could not handle the clapping of the performance. It drove mm-hmm. me insane. And then that whole drive home, I was like this. Cause the lights Exhausted. from the, from Exhausted. the cars were too much for me. Um, you know, when my kids are talking at the same time, I can't handle it. Like I just take, I like, I literally am feeling every energy of a chair, of a rock, of a tree, of the sun, you know, like I can feel it and read yeah, and it we, very we, well. We, we maybe should have introduced what the condition you have is. Um, so you said it right, before right. we go on, describe PMDD and what that is real quick, since you brought it up. Yeah, I will. So, and then we'll talk about when I was diagnosed. So I have premenstrual dysphoric disorder, PMDD, and that is where you have an abnormal reaction to normal changing hormones in a female cycle. So a female cycles every around 28 days and the 10 days before her period starts, that's called the luteal phase. Well, it's about 14 days, but I don't get symptoms until about nine or 10 days before my cycle starts. And so essentially my body is kind of allergic to normal hormone changes, like just ridiculously sensitive, um, to what might be normal for the person, you know, a lady sitting next to me, I might go insane by, and, um, they can't, they, there is no known, uh, cure. There's no known and there's no known cause. Um, it's still a very new science, which at this point, um, in my teenagehood at this point in the story where we're at, there still would mm-hmm. never, there wouldn't have been a diagnosis in the manual for me. Okay. Um, cause it didn't exist. So that's probably why they thought I was bipolar, which was still fairly mm-hmm. new as well. But, um, they just, they wouldn't even have been able to find it even if they're just looking um, so, at symptoms, which is yeah. very and they, normal and then they didn't, behavioral health. Yeah. And didn't track it to see if it was cyclical, right? Like Mm. I can pinpoint the days I will feel like crap. Mm. So you did have some, you did have some clarity a little bit from. As no, not until I was in my late twenties. Okay. 
So I go to college. Jump all over the place. Yeah, no, this this is great. That's a good thing to introduce that, so you can kind of look back at what we have talked about. Um, how I talked about like cyclical cycling with boyfriends, like it probably Mm -hmm. followed my period, like to a T Mm -hmm. I probably went through a boy every month. (laughs) Like it is, you know, and it is what it is. And I thought that I was just broken. Right. And so then Mm -hmm. I go to college and I'm in charge of my own schedule so I can sleep when I want to, I can eat what I want to, I can take what classes I want to. And I thrived. I did so great. You did Um, academically did well as well. No, actually as well twice. Uh, BYU was very hard for me. Okay. Um, okay. I didn't know how to study very well cause I came from a very easy high school. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I don't do very well taking tests, but I do very well in like, uh, hands-on things like dance, uh, landscape design, um, you know, those types of hand, more hands-on mm-hmm. projects versus, versus like ABCD type tests. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I struggled at school academically, but then I did better once I, once I got in the swing of it, I did a lot mm-hmm. better. Um, it just wasn't, in, just wasn't A's. This might be some credit to your parents. Do you think being in, my mom had, I, what I call, she had us on the, on the railroad to success, right? Did the discipline your parents have instilled in you and, and forced you kind of sounds like did that help you stay in, um, on the railroad to have good grades and then you discovered a little bit of freedom and then you had to figure out how to do that. Is, is there anything there or am I totally in the Pro- rabbit hole? Probably. I, th- I mean, I think so because I was afraid that if I didn't get good grades, I would get in trouble. Um, and then when you went to college, like I thought I was doing enough and apparently I wasn't. So that was, that was mm-hmm. then a learning curve where then I jumped mm-hmm. back up to getting, to getting good grades. Um, you stem something. I'm, I'm in still my so impressed. I'm still so impressed that you were dealing, you know, I ADHD and bipolar in my life in high school. I could not focus. I couldn't get good grades. I don't know how you did it. I mean, you were de- dealing with major trauma and huh. hurting yourself and behavioral health, and you were still getting the good grades. That's amazing. I love that. Well, there was a front stage and a backstage, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. that there still is in most people's lives, our front stage yeah. and backstage. And that's one, that's one of the reasons why I felt so strongly to be part of this podcast is to show mm-hmm. and normalize a little bit more of the backstage. So people don't think that the front stage is how it's supposed to look. Love that here in um, Utah County, you're five ten, <laughs> beautiful. And you're talking about harming yourself and people are gonna be like, what? somebody in this position that's successful is struggling as I am. I love it. That's why we're doing this. Um, when I, let's see, I met my husband. (laughs) Interestingly enough, I met him the very first semester of school, (laughs) Mm. which in my going rate was probably pretty normal, but he was Mm -hmm. different than any of the other guys (laughs) I had ever, ever, ever dated. And, um, that story's fun in itself. Um, we both met this is BYU, and, both BYU students. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And his story is kind of cool too, of how he ended up at BYU. He didn't get in his first time, by the way I did. Mm. Um, I always mm. have to give him a hard time about that because God, apparently God had it in the plans for me to be there because that was not in my plans. Like I was, mm. I was so on the rebellious pathway. I'm leaving, I'm leaving my religion. I'm leaving everything once I'm out of this, this whole, you know, out of mm-hmm. this nightmare, this house. Yep. Um, yep. And, um, oh man, you guys are doing a good job because you just helped me remember a dream, a concurring dream that I had as a kid that I here couldn't we, get out of go. the house. I couldn't get out mm. of the house. How has that stopped or you still have it? Oh yeah. It's, it's stopped. Um, okay. But there was always somebody chasing me inside a house and I could never get out. Mm. Mm. So there Did we go. Did you have nightmares? Did you have nightmares? Always. Always. I still do to this day. Do you have um, migraines? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I get migraines a lot. I get them more hormonally than mm-hmm. um, than anything. So as my hormones change, I get massive migraines. In fact, yesterday I had one really bad. So it's a good thing we didn't do this yesterday. Um, I met my husband, things, you know, dating was stellar. We get engaged. It's stellar. And then I go on birth control because I'm going to get married and don't want to have a baby right away. And it messed me up. <laughs> it was so bad. Um, 
I was a mess. My grades went down. I couldn't function. I just begged my husband to break up with me every single night we were together. Mm. I just begged him. I was like, I'm not long, the wife for you. How long did you guys date? How long did you guys date? Before um, you got we engaged? dated for, which was a long time um, for our culture. We mm-hmm. dated for about 14 months and then we were okay. engaged for mm-hmm. four. Okay. 14 and months? this whole time, and you went on birth yeah. control soon? Once we were engaged. Dating. Okay. So that, when we that's were engaged, when I went on birth control. 14 and, months uh, after you were dating. Yeah. Yeah. You okay. know, and I, I look back at our dating life and I think it was a, I think it was a blessing and a miracle from God that I didn't have episodes so that Dan could, my husband could know the real me mm-hmm. and who I really am. Um, and I can, I can look back now and I can tell you like the, one of the reasons why I didn't have episodes because I was able to like take a nap and skip class when I needed to, when my body needed rest, mm-hmm. you know, when I needed to slow down, I could, there weren't, there wasn't anybody requiring me to be anywhere or do anything for them. Um, you still had no and, idea what you were dealing with though. I, yeah, well, I thought it was gone. Oh, I see. Right. But I think because I had less responsibility to other people um, and less like accountability to other people, it was just me. I was able to really uh, be intuitive with myself and what I needed mm-hmm. um, and kind of just That's be interesting. on my own. Yeah. So my, my symptoms were minimalized like a ton. Um, anyway, so then, you know, I go on birth control and it just drove, it, w- it was nuts. It was like all the bad came back surprisingly we got married and thankfully we got married (laughs) and we moved to Hawaii the day after we got married to live there for six months. We, we looked at our finances and we were like, look, we can stay at a resort for a week or we can go live there for six months. And we were like, well, Mm -hmm. we're going to go live there. (laughs) So we did. Awesome. (laughs) And it was, it was great. We had, we had our moments, we had our time. It was great. Um, it was hard, but I think all the beginning of marriages are hard, especially, I mean, you know, it's the first time I had, really even mm-hmm. like been away from, been away from Utah for a very long time or Colorado for, you know, the, the States I, you know, anyway, and I always had fears that my husband would like discover who I was underneath and leave me. Like that was a huge, it, sometimes that's still a big fear of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, that he'll just get tired of me because I am emotional and I was emotional. So it's not like symptoms were like gone, but they were like mm-hmm. so minimalized that I felt like a normal human. And, um, do you, do you cherish that part of your life? Um, the you had a little bit of freedom from the pain. Do you cherish that part of your life? I do. I do. Good. 18 Good. and 19. Yeah, absolutely. Good. That's, that's sacred. Those are sacred years. Cause um, you, you can look, you can look back at it and try to get some of those things back always. Right. It gave, gave you a little foundation of maybe how to release some of the pain. Maybe. I don't know, because I think I was so immature that I just, thought that it like it didn't even cross my mind that it was gone hmm. interesting um well, i'll say this when i hear your story so far i freaking love it but i think <laughs> of the saying that i use a lot with people but i think i've totally used it with you it says god will never use you greatly until he can test you deeply hmm. and you've been tested deeply and you're going to do amazing things I mean, you just blow my mind. Like Sage said, (laughs) everything you've gone through, um, everything, trying to win over favor, appreciation, and here you are. You're still standing. That is a testimony to who you are and what drives you. And you want to help other people. That's why you're (laughs) telling the hardest parts of your life to people that you don't even know out here in the world and to people that, you know, your husband, your family. It's never easy to do this. Yeah. But uh, man, I tip my hat to you. <laughs> I just, I, I'm just Thanks. blown away. Thanks. So, I know. And we're like only barely halfway through. Oh yeah. We might have to <laughs> do two. Clarissa, I know. Only wanted to do I know. One podcast. Yeah. We might have to do I only two. thought, I only thought I was going to have one. I've never That's really shared keep, these things, you guys. I, I keep this interrupting good. and. No, this is good. I love it. I love it. Sorry. I love it. Um, You're amazing. Absolutely. Thank you. After we lived in Hawaii, we moved to upstate New York. Um, my husband's parents own a business. And my husband works for his parents, which that's a whole nother, that's, that adds a whole nother stress to 
my marriage because my husband spends more time with his parents than he spends with me. Um, so kind of the ideals and the dreams I had of what I thought marriage would look like doesn't and still doesn't. Um, he actually still works for, still works with his parents. We should say with at this point. Um, and that brought in a a whole nother dynamic into our marriage and our relationship. Um, I wasn't really accepted by his siblings right away. Um, there was a lot of drama that went on there where like his sister's like tried to sabotage our wedding day. Um, so like a lot of little teas, what we call little teas in the coaching world, like not some big traumatic thing for me. It was just so many little things. And because I didn't know how to diffuse those responsibly, um, you know, that led to bad coping habits. And, but I also, do you know how to diffuse those? You're going to have to coach me. You know how to get rid of that stuff. (laughs) You know what, Sabe? I still really struggle with that. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that. I think that's a life. Well, and you know, and now they, now they do know that PMDD is partly hereditary. Mm -hmm. Like it can be passed on. Um, it can be caused by trauma, but it's heightened by trauma. So it's kind of Mm -hmm. like, it turns on the light switch to that predisposition to have PMDD. Mm -hmm. Um, and we'll have to do a whole nother episode on the education of that alone. Um, cause it, it's fascinating. And I, one in one in 12 women have PMDD or PME and they don't know it. Mm, I believe that. And so, you know, and anyway, so my husband and I moved to upstate New York. It was a really, really crazy. (laughs) I mean, here I am with my nails done and a nice shirt on guys. I moved to a 200 year old house. It just barely got in a bathroom. When we got there, we had to go through the basement that was flooded. It was an old dairy house in upstate New York. You had to go through the basement. There were like there was a dead cat and a dead squirrel in the water that the basement had flooded. We went up into mm. the house. It took me two weeks to vacuum the cobwebs out of the front three rooms in the house. <laughs> How there old was, were you? I was I was 20. Wow. I was 20 years old. I was such a baby. Like I, I didn't know, but this is what I was going to say. Bless my parents' soul. But they thought that to protect me at college, they would send me to college without a car. Oh, here we go. And it goes dark again. And the lights <laughs> just went out. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is real. There you go. Every, every yeah. half hour. Goes out. It's yeah. it's to keep us on time for the podcast. That's what it is. That <laughs> it's a it's a reminder that we're supposed to keep Seriously. this short. But this is yep. fascinating. So let's keep going. So my parents didn't. My parents sent me to college without a car, thinking that if I didn't have a car, I wouldn't be able to go anywhere. So just still, you know, more control mm-hmm. type of thing. I look back as much as as business minded as my parents were, and as as much as they were trying to do things for me, I didn't know how to get a credit card. I didn't know how to get a car. I didn't know how to get an apartment. I didn't know how to get a job. Like I had, I had all of these things laid out for me as a teen and as a young adult that when I went into adulthood, I had no idea what I was doing. And even as a married kid, like that was my purpose was to get married. That was the purpose. Mm -hmm. And after that, I was like, what? (laughs) So when we, when we moved to upstate New York, Um, I actually didn't unpack my suitcases for two weeks and I wouldn't talk to my husband. I was so Mm -hmm. upset that he took me into this. There were raccoons in the kitchen, like guys, (laughs) like I lived, I lived in this little house in upstate New York and, um, the birth control was still wreaking havoc. So at this point we had been married in January and at this point it was like May, the end of May. Mm-hmm. And, um, beginning of June and we, you know, drove out to New York and we were there and about three weeks into our stay, I probably had a PMDD episode mm. and it was not good. It mm. was really bad. I mean, you, you think about how much stress I was under. Yeah. You were under stress. You were in a, a new house in, with the, that, in, that the house, in, the in a new marriage. Like I, you know, I was under a lot of stress. And, um, I flipped out 
Mm-hmm. And um, my husband and I had an argument because who else better to have an argument than with your spouse? Because that's just what happens mm-hmm. when you become intimately connected emotionally. They're like the first person that you mm-hmm. bust out at, right? Yep. And um, um, my husband, my husband slapped me across the face. I actually have never shared that with anybody because I know how much he, he's never done anything like that since. Mm -hmm. I think it shocked him just as much as it shocked me. But I looked over in the corner of the room that we were in, and there was a big man standing in the room, and he was, he looked kind of like a dementor. Like Harry Potter didn't even exist at this point. Um, he, He was big and burly and dark, and he was coming for me, and I started screaming at the top of my lungs. So you're having a delusion. He, Is that what you're that saying? He was you saw something that. I, oh, think I get that, it. Yeah. I call that house the haunted house. I thought okay. it was haunted before, like this episode happened, right? So I don't know. You know, he was whether, coming. Whether, what, was, whether it was a ghost or it was a trigger to an emotion that caused something yep. in your brain, you saw yep. something. Yep. And it was so dark. It was so, it was so dark. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of oozing off, like it was diffusing. The darkness was diffusing off, which, so Nash, your story the other week, like, holy cow, I can relate. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I get it. Believe me. Yeah. <laughs> and it, he was coming to get me and I was screaming. He's right there. The He's room. right there. Yeah. My husband was sitting with me on our couch. We had this little purple love seat that we toted mm-hmm. from Provo, Utah across the country and we were sitting on it, the two of us on the love seat. And I was just in the corner as far away from that as I could get, but I was afraid to move because of what had just happened. I thought that I was going to get more in trouble. You know, I was still being the child at that point in the relationship and he was coming and I was screaming and my husband was like, where, you know, he was so good to instantly want to protect. And, um, he called out to God and asked God to take it away. Mm-hmm. And we watched it diffuse and leave. I watched it diffuse and leave. And I was huddled behind my, at this point, once my husband, you know, I realized what my, my husband wasn't going to hurt me. And he was worried. Mm-hmm. I c- climbed behind my husband on the couch, like a monkey holding on, you know, and I was just sobbing that I was going to be taken away because I was evil. Mm-hmm. I thought I was mm-hmm. evil. So after that, my husband was like, mm, maybe we should reconsider this birth control thing because it seems like you started having symptoms when mm. you started taking this. It was really interesting. And, uh, and, he, re- said, oh. and he recognized that. Yeah, yeah. Powerful. That's awesome. And, you know, he said, what, what did we do different? We talked about the stress of the wedding and, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, this was over time anyway. So I stopped taking birth control and I, he is, he is, I stopped taking birth control and, uh, symptoms minimized a ton, like a ton. Mm. So let's see how, how, what, what time are we at? We're at like, what? Should we end today and come back Mm. to another week? This would be a great thing to come back to. This is a good st- wow. starting stopping point because from this point forward, I become a mother. Okay. Oh yeah, that's, that's and that that yeah. adds a whole new ball game. So Could, hang in there I with just me, say, you guys. Can I just say one thing too before we end? Um, Do it. Your your faith at age twenty, and I this a lot of people have given us my wife and I a hard time for getting married so young too, and a lot of where I grew up, um, the culture. <laughs> what wasn't getting married at 20, 21, 20 years old. And it's, st- and it's still that way, but the faith you had, and I'm not saying this is negative or positive. I'm not promoting anything here, but you had faith and you were naive and you were, you felt like you were doing the right thing. So I want to point that out to listeners. I I'm, I'm not for or against this. I'm not promoting again, but people that do get married young entrepreneurs that get into business um, it's, it's hard and you have to have faith and you, and you have to be somewhat naive to things but if you have good intention and you you find someone, your husband sounds amazing. Sounds like there's been some, of course, issues and stuff with your parents. But you had a you had a huge faith. So I don't. I I just wanted to point that out. And and even though we are naive, it's still 
you, like you're still married. You still conquer life. You still have this amazing faith in your life. And I just want to point that out. And that was instilled by your belief system. And we'll get into that later as you talk about marriage and, and, uh, and, and church activities and all the things you're doing. So is that okay to point out? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's great. I think at that point, my faith was still new. Like, I like mm -hmm. what you said that I was naive. I really was like mm -hmm. a child. Um, I've been asked now if I would get married, if I knew what I was mm -hmm. going to be going through. And the answer was no. Would if you do I any had business? Would you do any yes. business if you know what you're getting into? Okay. Yes, because I think that with business, you can, there are points you can make some boundaries and leave it. Mm -hmm. But I've had to learn that as well. But in marriage, like you have to, it's a living thing way mm -hmm. more than a business is a living thing. Like I could leave a business for a week, but you can't, you can't really leave marriage for yeah. a week. I know that sounds well, ridiculous because I know there's people out there saying that you can't leave a business for a week, but I've done it. I promise. It's okay. Um, I, that's, that's why I ask. Cause I, I, I have these pre pre, you know, these thoughts yeah. and, and yeah. opinions and I'm very opinionated. Um, so I, that's why I wanted to ask. You know, would but you honestly, if I knew I had PMDD, if I knew what it was, if I had, if I had the knowledge then in my twenties, 19, 18, that I did now, I would never have gotten married. I wouldn't have been able, I wouldn't have been a mom either because I say the, the same thing about bipolar. And I want to challenge yeah. that because if I would have known that I was going to be bipolar and be the idiot I was in my marriage, would I have put somebody else in harm's way? Um, I wouldn't, but sometimes being naive and just having faith and getting into something is kind of what we need. Right. Right. So I look, I know that God put things in order as he should have. Yep. Mm -hmm. So what I am saying is I am married. That's not changing now. And I'm glad that happened when it did in that honeymoon period. Prepared. Uh, but I feel bad that I pulled my husband through what I have, yeah. you know, and I'm in the same, I'm yeah. in the same boat. So we will get into this more. Thank you so much for opening oh, up and sharing. Um, yeah. I hope we don't get Amazing. in with your parents and husband and sharing all this stuff. I, I don't, I don't think so. I think that, I think that they, you know, just the same, just the same that I have changed. They have too. And we can talk about that too. Awesome. Thank you so awesome. much. For us. Yeah. We, we will, Thank uh, you. we will continue um, next week or actually two weeks yeah. from now, but you'll hear it in the, uh, in the fifth or sixth podcast. That'll be great. Um, Clarissa. Thank yeah. you so much. We're excited. We get our first guest, you guys. Yay. We're going to have our first guest. Yeah, his name That'll is Albert good. Euster and uh, it'll be next week and we will release that. Um, an amazing person. I'm excited to uh, talk to him. His childhood friend of, friend of mine. Okay. Thank you okay. everyone. Thank you guys. Have Thanks a great evening. Listening.